0: Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. The feast of the transfiguration, the account we heard from the gospel of Jesus being on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and the voice of the Father offering again, like at his baptism, his divine approval, and Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament appearing with them there on the mountain. there's a lot to say today. This is one of those Sundays where it's really not too hard to come up with a sermon because there's so much that you can treat inside the story itself. And if indeed I were to try and treat all of it in one sermon, we would be here all afternoon. Well, I'll just give you a few glimpses of what we could talk about. You could talk about the cloud that envelops all of the people there on the mountain which is reminiscent of the cloud that led Old Testament Israel throughout their 40 years in the wilderness, the cloud which filled the tabernacle and the temple, the cloud which signifies God's divine glory and presence. It was there with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. You could talk about the glow of Jesus when he was transfigured and shone like starlight, him, his face, and his clothing before them. And how it reminds us indeed, as it should, of Moses glowing as we heard in the Old Testament lesson whenever he would go up Mount Sinai to talk with God, the presence of God emanating visibly from our Lord Jesus Christ. We could talk about the humorous thing where Peter, the supposed first pope of the church, is there with an idea. Let's build shrines. Let's build three shrines. One to commemorate Moses, one to commemorate Elijah, and one to commemorate Jesus And this idea is worse than shot down, it is ignored by the Father, Jesus, the prophets, and everybody else. We could talk about all of these things, we could talk about many more things, and in the future we probably will. But today I want to focus in on a very short passage from this account. And it is the voice of the Father... The voice of the Father says of Jesus, like he did at his baptism, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then he adds these short words, Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Now, of course, the original intent and application of these words is an obvious one. We've spoken about it in studies recently. You have... There with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, the archetypal figures of the Old Testament, the authority for God's people Israel, the ones to whom they had up until that point, held as their listening, teaching, rabbis, and authorities. And you have Jesus standing there next to them. And what does the Father say? Listen to all three. Listen to the one that suits you and your preferences, you and your needs. No, listen to Jesus. Listen to this, my beloved son. And we know that had to be said, and it was right to be said, and word got out that that was said because during the rest of our Lord's ministry, and indeed during the first decades of the Apostolic Church, that was a real problem for Christians. They wanted to divide their loyalties. They wanted to listen, as it were, to Moses and Elijah above and in front of, listening to Jesus, or at the very least, in addition to him. We can be Christians, they were saying, but we must keep the Mosaic law. We can be Christians, we can be followers of this Jesus, but we have to keep offering these animal sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. We can be Christians, they were to say, these Judaizers, but we must, at the same time, submit ourselves to circumcision, just like in the Old Testament that was the original thing that this was covering it was the original purpose I'm convinced the reason that the father spoke these words saying no it's Jesus Jesus is the one we must listen to not the Old Testament mosaic law and the prophets but let's be honest right I don't think anybody here who's a member or associated with Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church has Judaizing tendencies. I've never seen it on an agenda at one of our elders or council or voters meetings that pastor, you know, I think the thing that we really need to do is stop eating pork. Then that'll fill our pews. No more bacon, no more bratwurst. We gotta start having the same day as our baptism for our little boys, a circumcision, a bris as well. We need to observe Moses and his law. That's what needs to be done keep kosher, and all the rest. Because, Pastor, Moses says this. Pastor, the prophets say this. Of course, that's not our temptation, is it? And if it is, see me after the service. We have a lot to talk about. No. That's not our problem of who to listen to. We are not drawn or tempted to listen to the Old Testament, ceremonial and religious law above Jesus. No. We are tempted and we are drawn to listen to the world. The world around us, the secular pagan world above Jesus, that is our temptation. It doesn't take a deep dive into the Bible to see and to understand that it, what it says for what we should believe and how we should live our lives is at odds with the culture that we have been placed, the time in which we are alive. And this goes for ethics of all kinds, pick any sort of category from your life that you are living, measure it up against what the media tells you, and the schools, and your friends, and there's going to be a lot that is at odds. From how we make our families and how we live our lives in our own homes, what a family looks like, what raising children is and ought to be and ought to look like, how we conduct our businesses, what is ethical, what is right. is it? Is there an objective morality for what we should do? Or is it just, it's only wrong if you get caught? In almost every traditional area of Christian morality, it seems that the society we live around, or live in rather, flatly contradicts the Lord, says the opposite. And the voices are certainly many, and they are certainly loud. I always think it's easy to pick on the media, the mainstream media, but it is an obvious target because of what it obviously does. I want you to find a modern television show, anything produced in the last 10 years that doesn't have, if not the main moral or the main point of the show or the underlying theme, at least kind of peripheral points reinforcing a morality and a picture of the world and of life that isn't at complete odds with Jesus Christ and his church. Even the commercials we watch, there's always something in an agenda being pushed that seems to be on top of or even over and against the thing that they're trying to sell you. And the news itself, the things that they choose to tell us about, choose to cover, and the details they choose to deliver are often, in various ways, some obvious, some subtle, pushing back against that which we have learned from God's word Indeed, school curriculums are no better, are they? And there's many things you could talk about there, but we send our kids off and they are formed for eight hours of the day by people who may not necessarily share our morality, our ethics, our faith. You could talk about a lot of things, but the thing I just kind of think about is from my own time in school, 20 years ago or whatever it was, was how family was never talked about. The goal of life for children is career, money, what are you going to be when you grow up? And they're never even encouraged to think about, well, I want to be a dad, I want to be a mother, I want to be a husband, I want to be a wife, I want to have a family, something which is the center of what the Catechism says we should be aiming for in our lives and teaching our children about, the place where children spend 12 years of their life. It's only in passing at best, and even then when it is pushed, It is a very different view of family that God's word lays out for us. And this is to say nothing even of our friends. When you're a pastor, you kind of live in a bubble. Most of my good friends are pastors, but a lot of you, I'm sure that's not the case. Most of your good friends don't even, perhaps even know a pastor. And they themselves, if they're not Christian, well, what are they? What are their values? What are their morals? What are they shaped and formed by? I think all of us know and we could tell the young people among us that peer pressure is real but guess what, it doesn't stop when you turn 18 and graduate high school. If anything, it kind of gets worse and more subtle. We are just as influenced, indeed are we not, by the adults that we respect and love in our life, our friends. But whatever the source, whatever the category, whatever the place, the general truth is the same. The world preaches a very different message than Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. The world says, don't believe that, believe this. Don't do that, do this, live this way, prioritize this. And what is implicit is, do those things, not the Bible. And so for that reason, I think today is a good opportunity to say, be careful. Be warned and be on guard. Moreover, I want you to be critical and discerning of the things that you are around of the the phrase i like to use the marinade that you are soaking in when you are not here with this group of people in this place not because i want you or every Christian just to pull back and isolate yourselves from the world, to cut out everything from your life that is entertainment or social or things like that. It's not because, of course, we're Lutherans, we get this, I think that by doing X, Y, and Z, then you will make God like you and get into heaven. But no, because we don't want to be disciples, that is, students of any teacher, any person, any group, or anything that drowns out Jesus Christ and that leads us away from God talk about this in studies a lot, but it's always a good point to remember. The thing about false teachers, bad teachers of any sort, is that they're always appealing, the successful ones, right? They're never so obvious. Nobody parades around and gives a message to you on TV or in person or whatever and has a sign or a shirt that just says, I'm lying to you. I'm telling you things you shouldn't believe. I'm pushing you and pulling you in a direction that is contrary to God's Will. Most false teachers and false things are not immediately on their face dangerous or wrong. And think about it, right? If that were the case, then nobody would ever follow them. No one would ever be taken in by a false narrative or a dangerous or a wicked doctrine. But of course, it does happen. And it's a constant danger for everybody. And it is a constant threat to us, the sheep of Jesus Christ's flock. There are always voices around us that, dressed up with a lot of candy and nice words and good appeal, say, that's not a sin. That's not wrong. Or it's not that bad of a sin. Don't worry about it. Or even, there's no such thing as a sin. There is nothing that is in this world that can anger God that bad. And even if they don't mention Jesus by name, even if they don't even talk about the Bible as such, they are indeed through such actions, trying to talk over him, and then finally lead us away from him. And so that's my exhortation. I've been working up toward my exhortation this morning. Don't let them do it. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to voices or authorities who would have you, through your beliefs or through your lives, deny the Lord who has bought you with his own blood. They have big promises, big ideas. They say you'll have the adoration and acceptance of the world around you. They say you'll have ease of life, social acclamation, and perhaps even sometimes with it, wealth and happiness because you have pleased those who have wealth to share. But we know that those things don't ever, ever deliver in the end. Or as the saying goes, right, you can't take them with you. So why bother chasing after them as your highest good. Now don't listen to the voices that try and talk over Jesus. Do what the Father says. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the one who says to the penitent sinner, neither do I condemn you. Listen to the one who says to the forgiven sinner, go and sin no more. Listen to the one who comes to you here and now this morning at this altar and says to you, take, eat. This is my body, this is my blood given to you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Listen to the law that accuses you of your sin and listen to the gospel which heals up the wound that the law makes and absolves you. Listen and believe in your Lord Jesus Christ so that the day that you leave this world, you may see and listen to him forever. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ says to his apostles, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lift up your heart, therefore, to the God of all grace and joyfully give answer to what I now ask you in the name of the Lord. Every do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? If so, yes, I do. Do you renounce the devil in all his works and all his ways? If so, yes, I renounce them. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit? If so, yes, I believe. Do you hold all the prophetic and apostolic scriptures to be the inspired word of God and the doctrine of the evangelical Lutheran church drawn from them and confessed in the small catechism to be faithful and true? If so, yes, I do. Do you intend to hear the word of God and to receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? If so, I do, by the grace of God. Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed, to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? If so, I do. Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession in church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? If so, I do. Do you desire to become a member of this congregation. Will you support the work our gracious Lord has given this congregation with your prayers and the gifts God has given you? If so, I will. Upon this, your confession of faith, I acknowledge publicly that you are a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church and of this congregation. Receive the Lord's Supper and participate with us in all the blessings of salvation that our Lord has given to his church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your great goodness in bringing this, your daughter, to the knowledge of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and enabling her both with the heart to believe and with the mouth to confess his saving name, granted by your word and spirit they may continue steadfast in the one true faith and the fellowship of this congregation, as together we await the day when all who have fought the good fight of faith shall receive the crown of righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.